buttons on this new thing, Bobby. I finally found one, I believe, that worked. You know, talking about encouragement, uh, these flowers today are in memory of Robert Dover. His wife, Lita, placed these flowers today, and Robert was a, an encourager. He was always one that uh, met people and uh, tried, to, tried to bring a, a lighter spirit in with them. He had a way of joking, with teasing just about everybody, and you know what is said about any teaser, you, you better be able to take it if you can dole it out, you know. So he took a lot of teasing, too. But uh, God bless his memory today and these wonderful flowers. Um, so let's read our text today. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good works, not forsaking our assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so uh, this is a, a great book of the Bible, uh, the book of Hebrews. And uh, we don't know exactly who wrote it. Some think Paul wrote it, but it actually, the Greek in it is entirely different than uh, what Paul normally would use. So uh, unless he just dictated it to somebody, uh, somebody else wrote it, we do not know who. But it has a lot to say, and particularly to uh, a people now. The church had been now a few years along the way, and uh, there were uh, different um, challenges coming now. It was a persecuted kind of church. Uh, it was a church that really uh, it took some tenacity to stand for Jesus Christ. It took some uh, courage, and um, uh, some were wavering. And so um, as we get into this passage, it's just good to remember uh, that uh, uh, there, is, there is a precedence for you in your life if you're struggling, if you're struggling. Thank you, Lynn McKinney. I couldn't call your name when I walked up to you. I saw you across the way, but, you know, I'm at the age now where sometimes that name just doesn't come. But I figured it out in the middle of a song somewhere there. So uh, thanks for sharing with us and Lisa as well uh, about the Steadfast House transition village now that's coming about. Um, this, this passage starts off with some really basic things that ought to call every Christian to attention. It's an experience that every Christian has had. And so it's sort of building up for the point it wants to make. And it starts off really talking about our salvation. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We are able to come before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, His sacrifice on the cross. That's something that's that ought to be celebrated in every Christian heart. Our songs ought to always have something about our salvation, our coming to Christ, the blood of Jesus being shed for us. And so uh, that is to bring us all to attention. 
There's not a soul in here that doesn't owe God their complete everything, their complete all. And that's true of every Christian. That's true really of every person. But those who are believers, who have accepted this and believed it and thank God for it, those especially he's saying to them. He said, since, therefore, we have confidence to enter into this holy place. That is the presence of God. And by a new and living way, he has inaugurated us through the veil that is his flesh. In other words, he's talking about the body of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Through his body, he has secured for us a a way that we can communicate and know God and a way we can be forgiven of our sins. And I think it was last week we were talking about the great um, uh, price that Jesus paid, the price for our sins. Uh, we We may get very involved in all of life and if we don't, Watch ourselves, we'll lose, we'll lose track of the fact that we are very, very much indebted to our Lord. And we owe Him everything. And so, and since then, he said, since therefore, and then again in verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, some of you may have read that and thought, well, who is this priest? Is it the preacher standing up here? Believe me, I'm not the priest. Uh, I'm one of you. Okay, always have been, and I hope, hope to always be. Uh, well, I should be if the Lord will let me. But He is the priest. Jesus Christ is the priest. So when you're praying, you can pray right along with Jesus. He is the one interceding for you. He is the one that stands between God and us. It's not some man. It's not some priest. It's the priest. It's Christ Jesus Himself. Since we have the priest, since we have someone to stand with us and by us. So no matter who you are as a Christian person, I want you to know you have the greatest one you could ever have standing on your side. He is with you. Since therefore we have a great priest standing over the house of God, let us draw near, let us get close Let us draw near with sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. Let's get together. Let's draw near. Let's get close to Him. We're we're able to approach Him and get close to Him based on His, His own initiative. He is the one that's brought us close to Him. It's not because we have earned our way to be close to Him. It's because He has... He has cleansed us through His blood. And we have a presence before Him because He has invited us there. Let us draw near to Him. Let us draw near to Him. Not just let you draw near to Him. It's not just an individual matter. He is calling His whole church to draw near to Him. That's why we meet as a congregation. That's why we meet together to worship. It's a matter of us coming together to be before our Lord God and to worship Him. And so, since therefore, we have been called together, draw near with a full assurance of faith. Don't come with any doubts. Come understanding this, that you were cleansed by the mighty blood of Jesus Christ. And nothing can take away that fact. Come to Him. For He who promised, it says, is what? He's faithful. 
This is all based on the faithfulness of God. Our congregating together is based on faith in God, in Christ. We're not, we're not just here because we choose to be. Matter of fact, there should be very little choice to it. We're here because we're Christian people. And we've come to worship Him here and in other congregations all over the world. People are meeting to worship the Lord. So since all of that, he said, let's now consider how to, this version says, stimulate one another to love and good works. My King James Version I memorized, and let us consider how to provoke one another unto love and good works. There ought to be something in our heart that, that causes us as Christians to want to incite in each other this life of Christ, the teachings of Christ, the love of Christ. There ought to be a love in our heart that wants to reach out to other people. And so he says, because of all that he's done for us, let's give also, also our attention to one another. And let's incite, let's... let's uh, uh, invigorate each other's faith. Let's encourage one another. Let's provoke love in one another. Let's, let's incite love in each other. How do you do that? Well, uppermost is by your own life, by your own example. When we see others serving the cause of Christ, it encourages us. When we see others stepping out and working for the Lord or doing something by uh, standing up for their faith, we do it by example. That encourages other Christians. How many Christians back in those days when there was persecution going on and, and there was fear over all the people because of what might happen to them and then one Christian would stand for the Lord and then another Christian would stand for the Lord and invigorated and provoked the faith of many, many others to stand up for Jesus. Same thing holds true here. When we, are, when we are by our example living for the Lord, that's positive reminders to each of us of our privileges and our duties to the Lord. Someone has said a saint is someone to whom Christ is revealed to others through them. A nurse in one of the old wars was next to a patient, a Christian nurse. He looked up to her and he said, you're Christ to me. You're being Christ to me. He didn't mean she was Jesus Christ. He meant she was being Christ to Him. Touching His life. So we've got we've to inside each other. We've got to worship together. Verse 25 says, let's, And let us not forsake our assembling together. Don't forsake getting together as is the habit of some. So it's already taken place. That's one reason he wrote this. There are some now developing a habit of not attending to their worship. And it's, it's really interesting how a habit can happen, isn't it? If we're out a little while, how difficult it might be, if we're choosing to be out, how difficult it might be to break a habit that hasn't begun to happen in our life. It also works the other way. Habits are things we can establish in our life by repetition. And so by choosing to come and be a part of the fellowship and loving God through our, 
through our church family and with our church family. That is a habit. He says, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we're, we're to worship together. Right now there's what we might call too many pious particles. Just out yonder, somewhere, not, not in fellowship, not in worship, not really celebrating, not really drawing from, not giving to uh, the Christian the Christian witness. And so there's so much of that going on now. Why do people, why would people not, why would Christians not worship? Some may worship because, because of fear. It happened in that day. Maybe it happens in this day. What will people think of me? There's a cynicism now and a criticism that falls upon believers in Christ. And we might know it to be that, but it still bothers us. And maybe it's affecting us when our friends, maybe they don't participate in the Christian faith through worship. And maybe we feel inclined now not to, you know, not to be embarrassed in front of them because they would think little of what the church might mean. There are perhaps those who seek to be secret disciples. I am a Christian. If we were to ask them, they would say, yes, I'm a Christian. But maybe they want to keep it to themselves. Want to slide around in the darkness. Want no one else to really know it. Someone said, if you're a secret disciple, the secrecy will kill the discipleship. Not easy. Not easy to, to, to happen. And so going to church is still an opportunity just to show the Lord, and one another, whose side we own. I used to have a man attending my first church uh, back, back a long time ago, in the early 80s. He was an older man. He sat right on the front. His name was George Wilson. And George was completely deaf. He couldn't hear anything. Those little hearing devices that we use and you're welcome to them back there, Bobby, right? We have some to help us hear sometimes. Do we have difficulty? Wouldn't have helped him a bit. So he was sitting there and someone asked him one day, said, why do you come to church? You can't hear anything. He said, I just want people to know whose side I'm on. Whose side I'm on. That's like the least that we could do by regular church attendance. So, some may come because of fear, perhaps. Some may because they feel like the church doesn't match them socially. Either they're too high for those people, or they may feel too low for those people. Some feel just really left out of everything. But you know what? There's no social standing in the church. There should be no social standing. Ethnic, racial, nothing. There's nothing should separate us from the love of God and the love of each other. I went by Krispy Kreme this morning. I did, Chris. And was able to buy some, some of those glazed donuts and some chocolate ones. And I'm standing there and there's a, there's a man standing over the way talking to the manager of Krispy Kreme.
And he was, I tell you, he was rough looking. He was real rough looking. And I just kind of watched him, you know, and I kind of watched her, and I think, is there another man in the place here? Or if something happens, you know, am I going to be called on, you know, to... I sure was hoping it wasn't me. Anyway, the discussion went, up, went on, and finally he left out. And it's, when he left out, I heard her say to a, a co-worker that was watching, the, he was watching the porch outside, she said, that's one of the finest men I've ever met. And I thought, Charlie, how dumb. You couldn't even have a positive thought about that guy. And he's one of the finest men probably she'd ever met. We're all the same. May not go because of pride. Simply, I don't really think I need to do it. I don't need to go to church. It's not something I really need to do. You know, sometimes intellectual snobbery can prevent us from listening to the standard call of the gospel. We're just too smart. Oh, we think we are. We think somehow we can think our way along. The Bible says the wisest men can be fools in the eyes of God. So, you know, I guess we just need to get over ourselves if we think we're so smart. I read a, I read a piece. This is by J.P. Brandon. I've had it for a long time. I was looking at it the other day. And J.P. Brandon was was leader of Youth for Christ for years here, back years and years ago. And the title of his newsletter was, It's Lonely at the Bottom. He said, Dear friends, so often we've heard the phrase, It's lonely at the top, as folks have climbed the ladders of fame and importance. For many of our kids, though, he says, It's lonely at the bottom. Can you imagine being 14 and living on a planet where you feel that no one else see or hear your voice? You spend your day in a circle of loneliness and apathy. No one noticed you at the school bus stop and offered you a seat next to them on the bus. You walk through the halls of the school and you keep your head down so that you don't have to notice the blank looks on the other kids' faces as they pass you by. Lunch is eaten alone. Then after school you go home to an empty house and you wait for your mom to come home. Weekends are spent in front of the television as mom perhaps has started dating a new boyfriend. Dad may live two, steps, two states away and you don't hear from him very often. And then JP writes this. He said, The battle for the hearts of these kids is lost sometimes to a peer group of other outcast or rejected kids that reach out to them and suddenly they have an identification all of a sudden, they have someone to hang around with at and away from school. The phone rings and your new friends are inviting you to a party over the weekend that will bring new life, destroying experiences, new life-destroying experiences into the young lives they experiment with drugs, alcohol, sexual activities. But the main thing is that they are noticed and are not alone. It's good to have friends. That's true not only in the school, that's true in life. There's a many of us who are facing that very kind of thing. Um, 
And that's the part that the church really is, we're to be the open doors. We're to be the place where people are welcome. We're to be the place when people's, people come here, they feel affirmed and welcome. We're, the, we're to be the people that actually, where they are, we're to affirm them and welcome them into the family of, in the family of God. So uh, I thought that was just a pretty good, a pretty good uh, piece. The, the Bible says, let's meet together. Not forsaking the assembling, not a forsaking, but let's get together. My dad's favorite hymn was, Brethren, we have met to worship. That's an old song, but that's what he liked. He liked that, brethren, let's meet to worship. Let's meet to worship. And so there's this call, and the call to Christ includes a call to his family. You're part of the family. Um, and a part of the fellowship. It's a nourishing fellowship. It should be. If it's not, there's problems. Any church, it cannot foster fellowship. And I'm not talking about just friendship. I'm talking about something deeper than that. Friendships may come and go. But a fellowship ought to always be constant. We ought to always be reaching for one another in a fellowship. Several years ago, about this time of year, well, it's, been, it's been more than several years ago, it's like, let's see. I was probably 17. Okay. That's like, how long ago? It's been so But anyway, my family, all the cousins, I came out of a big family, lots of cousins. So our uncles all got us together and aunts, and we all went camping together. And uh, we were, now we're from South Carolina. We don't know anything about mountains down there. But we decided from Spartanburg to drive up and go to the mountains and go camping. Well, we figured since we was going to the mountains, we would just go to the biggest mountain around. And we did. So we all went up to Mount Mitchell to camp out. Well, I don't know if you've ever been there in the middle of the night in July, but it's cold up there. It's real cold up there. And there was a pile of us up there. And we were doing everything we could just to survive the night. My uncles just stayed out. They kept feeding this fire. And we all just hung around the fire all we could. We'd get sleepy and run back to the tent. And we'd wake up after a while and our feet would be frozen. That'd be the part sticking out of the tent, you know. We'd run back over and put our feet to the fire. There was something very needful about being together around that fire. And that's the way it is in our fellowship with each other. We can get away from it. But when we do, something starts to grow cold in us. We start to lose something. We start to lose that warmth that we knew in the Lord. And finally, we may be totally frozen to death. Your church is actually you. You know that? You're a walking advertisement of your church. You take the church out of these walls. You're the one that takes the church out of these walls. And you make it live in the everyday life. You're the one. In fact, when people who know you think about this church, they're thinking about you. You're the one they're thinking about. Some have the idea the pastor is the church. And 
That's just not true. It's true the pastor talks a lot. Someone irreverently one time called me the mouth of the church. And I know there's at least three people here that are more of a mouth than I am, but I'm not saying The pastor represents the church, and I invite, and I, you know, I invite people into the church. It's a pastor's job to know the business of the church, to know what's going on, to know what's happening. It's the pastor's work, uh, pastor's job, to act in behalf of the church. So I, I realize I'm a representative when I go out of the church, but I'll tell you this, I know I'm greater, more greatly, a representative of Jesus Christ. The church professes its concern for people. But you express the concern the church has. It's you. Uh, Your church tries to build up the Christian witness and world you are the one who validates those attempts of your church. Your church claims to have a gospel that will make people new and opening and opening them to a fuller life. You are the demonstration of that. You are the evidence of that. You are the one they see. You, in this sense, are the church. Your daily acts are more than any sermon. Your daily acts are more than anything I will say to the world at large. You teach more people. Your life reaches more people. You, you, more people are saved. More lives are changed by your life more than all the words that I'll ever speak or that this church, the teachers will ever speak in this church. Anything that happens inside the four walls will have nothing like the impact that your lives have. You are the church. You and I are the church. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's important. Encouragement, encouragement. Encourage one another, it says. You know, think about those who are maybe falling away. Or even those who aren't falling away. Consider one another. Think about each other. How many of us from time to time might need a little encouragement? Just lift them up. Wave a little bit. Don't act. Yeah, so there's a bunch of us, if not all of us. Encouragement is a person. Uh, Some of you may not know, but uh, Dwight Eisenhower was a president. Also, he was a general. He was the great general in World War II. He led all the forces of the of the European allies uh, in Europe. I guess over the whole thing, is that right? He was big. Anyway, he was visiting. He was visiting in a, in a hospital with some of the... Uh, actually, just visiting among the men. He came upon this one guy who seemed real depressed. He said, how are you feeling, son? General, he said, I'm awfully nervous. Well, Eisenhower said, you and I are a good pair because I'm nervous too. Maybe if we just walk along together, we'll be good for each other. 
It's not what you say. It's just being there. Walk alone by the side. Encouragement means coming alongside to impart courage. That's what it means. Coming alongside to impart courage. It's a person. It's a word. Consider this advice from Proverbs 25.11. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. You know, our words have power. It has negative power. One of the frustrations I had, well, have always had, is to see how easy it is to lose a member over an ill-spoken word, a not-thought-out word. Now, I'm not saying a word ought to just be able to knock us off our feet but it often does. It's much easier to lose members than it is to gain members. So beware. I didn't plan on saying that, but you know, sometimes it's saying. Encouragement can be as a word. Some of you might have heard of Vince Lombardi. He was a great coach out of the past, Green Bay Packers, tough as nails, just really a strong disciplinarian, you know, and he was riding this one guy so hard one day, just, you know, just raking him out because he couldn't block or whatever, he wasn't doing what he was told to do, and just, you know, really, he really, he went in, he saw later that kid was sitting there, his head down in the locker room, just feeling very dejected, and he come over and he mussed his hair like that, you know, he said, one of these days, you're going to be the greatest guard in the NFL. And sure enough, that was Jerry Kramer. He became a Hall of Famer. Sometimes a word. And encouragement is, is the church. Um, I hope when you come to church, you feel encouraged. I heard of a church one time and their sanctuary had the name over the top as people came into it, the Encouragement Center. The Center of Encouragement. This is where I can get uh, encouragement in the Lord. And uh, uh, his message, as it was entitled in the bulletin every week, I guess I could do this one. I'm not too good at giving messages in the bulletin, but I think I could do this. Every week it was the word of encouragement. I could get away with that, perhaps. But more important than any of that was the membership that took seriously the, the role of encouraging. Will you bow with me? Father, we, uh, we thank you for the privilege and the honor to be a part of the church family. And God, to realize that uh, none of us here come with any merit whatsoever that would allow us into your family. But we are called into this family completely by your grace and your goodness and your love for us and your forgiveness of us. Forgiveness, forgiveness. So we're thankful. And we're thankful, Lord, to be a church family, to still be able to represent the cause of Christ. God, please look deep into our heart. And God, you know our lives. 
You know, from time to time in this old world we live in, time to time, uh, the sledding gets pretty tough. It gets hard to go. And Lord, we thank You that we have a church and a family. Sometimes when the worst thing that could happen, we could think could happen, happens. We can come to a place and a people and just worship and sit alongside and Lord, shake a hand or, or a hug and God know that somebody cares about us. And thank you, Lord, also that we, are, we can do the very same thing. We're part of this family. So we're grateful for a church here at Starnes Cove. Lord, forgive us when we, we fall short in our vision about what we are to be and do. God, when we get a little selfish or prideful or, Lord, apathetic or uncaring, Lord, we pray you'd forgive us as a church as a whole and, Lord, individually as members and help us look to Jesus. God, we pray this will be a fellowship that receives. There may be some here today that's been toying with the thought of becoming a member of this church family. And maybe you'd like to come. Maybe you've professed Christ as your Savior. You'd like to come by baptism. Or maybe you're a, um, someone who's been visiting here and this, you feel a call of God to be a part of this church family and come and belong and help encourage, support one another. Lord, the world needs, the world needs this more than it knows. And we need it. Thank you we have an opportunity to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a closing hymn together, hymn number 321. The Savior's Waiting is one of my favorite songs. The Waiting Savior, because if He weren't waiting, where would we be? Let's stand together and let's sing. God's speaking to your heart, a special uh, need today to come and share in prayer or to give your heart to Christ or become a part of this church family or just to rededicate your life. This is a good time to do it. Let's sing together now.